folks, today is a big day. You know why? Because today's episode 550 of the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast. That's us. That's you and me, Kenny Oak. You're Chris Harris. It's been, we've been on this journey for, for a while, and it's it's reached this point somehow. Somehow we've gotten here. Um, do we have much to show for it? Of course, because we've made it. Bubs, it's been two years. You know, we're a little over nuts. Yep. And uh, it's a d- disgrace that we're only up to 50. But. No, it's not. Big episode. We have, you know. We don't social- have the money or the production we value. have of, none of, of that. But we're Especially the, that first part. Uh, yeah. The social media presence that we have is growing. We're getting bigger with that every day. It is, day Bubs. You're, you're doing great over there in the Twitter world. The wrestling community is coming together strong with us. A lot of interaction. Over the last couple months, at the least, we are starting to grow. And Bubs, today's episode, it is 50. It's, uh, it does mean a lot. I'm glad we got to get to this point. We're nowhere close to done, though. We're going to keep on no getting, uh, Are you kidding me? See where this really takes us. we got a big episode today and hopefully some some better stuff coming in the future. Obviously, we're creeping up on the Survivor Series in WWE land. Yes, and, big, uh, big pay-per-views get, coming up. As we get towards the end of the year in general, we have to start talking Wrestle Kingdom sooner or later. So we'll be we'll be getting into that. Not yet. Not yet. yet. It's it's premature, but storylines are being built to support that, and I'm really getting behind it. So today, Bub's big show. Yes. Ready. All right. So last last time we were here, we were talking about what may be the biggest era in professional wrestling history, and that was the Attitude Era, and not just talking about WWF or E, uh, WCW. Uh, all Japan was pretty big at this time. New Japan was was coming up. Uh, this was a huge time in wrestling, a huge boom in wrestling. But was it the best era in wrestling? A lot of people think so. Um, it, but it, that's looking through it with rose-colored glasses, Bubs. Um, and we, we discussed that last time, and you can go back and check out episode 49 of the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast on the Attitude Era. But I'm thinking what may be one of the best eras in as far as the product is concerned and the stars that were created during this time may be what we're discussing today. And that is the Ruthless Aggression Era, Bubs. What are some of your preliminary thoughts on this time? So we were, we, we were objective when we talked about Attitude Era. Obviously, we both love it. It's something we grew up from, had a lot of our favorites in it. But now, after doing a little research to support this episode, we kind of came to the conclusion, at least the consensus between the two of us, that all in all, from top to bottom, up and down, this era, these you know six, seven-ish years of WWE at least, was all in all better. And better being subjective, of course, but let's talk about some of the good things. We got less crappy storylines. There are still some shit that happened. Oh, there were, were some awful. really bad storylines, uh, Bubs. Let's not but, Yeah, and, and there, were, there were. There were some crap that still occurred, but uh, there was... That's few, just wrestling few, few in fewer. general. Yeah. Um, a lot better wrestling happened. Oh, yes. And I'm a, lot, a lot more... Maybe not stars, although there were a lot of stars, but the roster itself, top to bottom... WWE SmackDown and Raw Weekly was very nice, and the mid-card was very nice. The tag scene throughout 
most of it was was okay at, at the I think least. this may have been one of the strongest tag divisions of the modern uh, WWE kind of product was during this time. Okay. At least there was a lot of tag teams thrown at us. There were. There were we, I mean, it was overload at times. Some of them stuck. Some of them were just, you know, like rated RKO, for example. Two top guys. That was good. Um, that was great. Yeah. Kendrick and uh, London. Paul London and Paul Brian London. Kendrick. Yep. But then for every one of those, you had a deuce and domino. Bar. Sure. So, so like you're saying, it wasn't all peaches and cream. No, the La Resistance did not stick. Ooh, and, uh, Rene and Dupree. Sti- sticking around. Rene Dupree. We, we, he was we so young. Him, He's but... still young. He can still He's work. He's like 32 yeah. right now. Uh, but, <laughs> Bubs, the the names that um, were developed from that Attitude Era, they stuck around, some of them at least. Rock and Austin leave, of course. But, but you had um, The Undertaker. Undertaker stays. Kane stays. Triple H, Reign of Terror stays. A lot of that just hangs around. And then we get, of course, Guerrero. We get more... Um, Chris Jericho, we get Rey Mysterio, we get Chris Benoit, we get more Kurt Angle. We get all these guys that had a little touch in the Attitude Era, but we get them now flourishing, really. And we get some really solid um, WrestleManias from this, 18 through probably 24, I think, are going to be the years up until 2008. So a lot of stuff. Yeah, and, and some of the names you bring up that came along in the Attitude Era but stuck around, but some of the names that were created and molded and became stars in this era, you know, you're talking, and we're not just talking about, you know, your Joe Schmoes off the street, bubs. We're talking about some of the biggest names, not only in, of all time, but, you know, mainstream, you know, attention. You've got Batista, who became a huge star during this time. Uh, Randy Orton, who came along during this time. Uh, John Cena, let's not forget who may be, you know, I think both of us put him on our Mount Rushmore's wrestling, or at least had him in consideration. You know, this era brought us some of the biggest names in wrestling history and some of, uh, some of the best feuds of all time. But one, one person that both of us, you know, failed to mention just now is, you know, still, oh, still, still reigning supreme and that is the beast incarnate himself. Brock Lesnar came about during right. this time. So, so many top-level talents were created. And it, it's something that goes really un, untucked, untalked about, unnoticed, is just the amount of stars that were, were made during this time. And, you know, you, you mentioned some of the great stars that were already there that became even bigger stars. You, you, you forgot to mention the Hardys. You know, Jeff Hardy became Jeff a main Hardy. event player. Edge became a main event player. You know, this was a time where WWE was like, look, we, we need some top level guys and we're going to we're gonna do what we can to create, you know, you guys who have been loyal to us, we're gonna push you to the main event and just see what you do. Yeah. If you stick, that's great. If not, well, we, we gave you a shot. And they gave a lot of people a shot and it, it worked for worked for some, Edge, and it didn't really work for others. So, you know, this is a very exciting era in wrestling history. Bubs, this is about 16 years ago, 17 years ago that we're talking about right now. And this is the absolute last time, 2002, that the WWE created their own megastars. You mentioned 
I heard you mention three of them. I don't know if you did also say Randy Orton in that as well. I did. I did but say Randy. The four, the four OVW guys that were yes. groomed from that system, taken from there, put in very unique situations. Brock was put with Paul Heyman. Batista and Orton eventually go to Evolution, you know, not right away. John Cena gets his debut against Kurt Angle and then goes into thug- Thugonomics after that. Yes. So that is the he absolute... He stabbed in the rule. kidney. By Jesus. Thugonomics was... We don't talk about that enough of really how good that was. It was, John Cena it was amazing, good. right? But um, but those four, really, those that's the really the last time. And I, I'm willing to you know argue that if it ever comes up. But no one's really ever said, well, I disagree with that. Somebody else was molded from the WWE product. But I don't think anybody else was molded from the ground up in an OVW-like sense and said, hey, we're going to make you a pro wrestler now. Brock had talent, sure, because he was you know winning Division One things in Minnesota. Right. But, but that's it. And that's a great point that you, that you bring up is that these four guys were kind of molded from the ground up. Uh, one of the guys who became a huge star, one of my favorites of all time, Edge. This was when his kind of rise to the main event happened, and he's been you know he's been a guy that was in WWE pretty much his whole career, but he did wrestle in the Indies to kind of develop his style. Uh, but as far as major organizations, he's only worked for WWE. Uh, he was another guy that. You know, hey, we're gonna put you in this situation and see see what happens. And you know, he flourished. Right. But we've also we also had some really good mid card talent during this time. Uh, and even this was probably the great, in my opinion, the best era in, in cruiserweight kind of history. Most interesting era, maybe not the best in ring era, just because what WCW was doing in the cruiserweight division was just untouchable in ring. Right. But with, with with the story, you had guys like Shane Helms, Sugar Shane Helms, mm. uh, the Hurricane. Um, I, those two kind of seem similar. I don't, did you ever kind of well, notice that? They never wrestled each other. I wish they would have wrestled each other. That, oh, that would have been a good seems like match. Put that on the old uh, wish list of matches we could see That's in true. Fantasyland. Um, but you had... Even some of the weird things in the Cruiserweight division worked, like Matt Hardy trying to cut weight... To, to get there, uh, working with Shannon Moore, uh, Jimmy Yang Wang was pretty fun underrated. in the Cruiserweight. Jimmy Yang, man. So underrated. Um, Chavo, Ramos, just it, this was a great era in Cruiserweight wrestling. Yeah. Uh, way better than what we have going on now. So just it's not just the main event level talent that was you know top notch during this era, but a lot of the lower card, mid card stuff. Yeah, Shelton Benjamin came along in this time. Carlito. Uh, so, so, so much talent during this time. I think Shelton also deserves a small plug because he was original OVW as well. He never stuck around to become the, the megastar that he probably could have had he stayed in WWE before leaving because he was, you know, on that path as well. But even the, there's so much talent at this time, early 2002, 2003, major pay-per-views like the undercard is like team angle. Like that's a that's a good tag team. We're talking Belt Benjamin and you're, you're talking about the world's greatest tag team. Yeah, and oh, Haas and even I'm thinking at WrestleMania 19. I'm thinking even the Undertaker is like match two or three on the card, and he goes up against the A Train and the Big Show. Like the Big yes. Show and the Undertaker are undercard basically talents because there's so much stuff ahead of them in regards to, to talent like Kurt and, and Brock and, I mean, The Rock and Austin were still sticking around, Shawn Michaels, Jericho, and the list goes on, right? So yes. 
an overload of talent at this time during during certain years. So we're talking mid card. We're talking major dudes that were running inter, the intercontinental scene. You know, so and. Yeah. We're talking a lot of the good stuff, but there was a lot of crap during this time. A lot of crap wrestlers during this time because this was kind of when John Laurinaitis took Hmm. over as the VP of Talent Relations. And if going into kind of a sports analogy, you know, one of the most important aspects of any franchise in any sport, whether it's basketball, we were just talking about the the Warriors and how Mark Jackson created that team because he had such an eye for, for scouting and talent. Um, you know, all these, you know, you look at Theo Epstein with the Cubs and what he's done because he just has such an eye for talent and how important that is in sports. Well, John Laurinaitis might be one of the worst scouts and worst people when it comes to kind of an eye for talent. His eye for talent is is covered up by an eye patch or something. I don't yeah. know because all you have to do to get on his radar is to have have a great set of pecs, have some big old biceps, and you know you you can have a shot in the WWE when John Laurinaitis was in charge of talent relations. So because of that, there was a lot of really terrible wrestlers during this time. Now I can't really run through the list because there's, there, there is quite a bit and we don't really have the time for that. But I, I, you know, one, one of my favorite, and I'm stumbling on my words here. One of my favorite YouTube channels is wrestling with regret. Um, and he did a great series of videos on the top 24 most forgotten Ruthless Aggression era wrestlers. So I challenge you to go, go there, watch, that, watch those videos. There's three videos. And you know, see just some of the kind of awful stuff that happened during the Ruthless Aggression era. But it was so forgettable that it, it's just a blip out there. It doesn't degrade anything that happened during this time because... All the good stuff that happened far outweighs any of the bad, in my opinion. Was Gene Snitsky on that list? Snitsky actually wasn't on that because he's memorable, you know, because it wasn't his fault, Bob. It wasn't. So and he's, in some, he's in some storyline. No. Some memorable ones, at least. Yeah. Guys like Sean Stasiak, you know, okay. Jindrak is on there. Mark Jindrak. Mark Jindrak, Bubs. There. Do you remember him? Because I vaguely. Well, vaguely, yeah. <laughs> More so, I, I remember a lot, instead of like the talent specifically, I remember a lot of the, the negative stuff as far as uh, like storylines is concerned. I didn't want to bring up Katie Vick, but that was... That's it the has most, to at this point. It's the most memorable, maybe, one, because it, it was is. so awful. Um, I disagree yeah. with how people have treated Muhammad Hassan based on the storyline that he was put in. So, yeah, he's a he's one of the biggest victims of circumstance that I've ever seen in that, wrestling it history. Really, is that's such a talented person and wrestler, but and his heat was real, Bubs. So real, and it was it was good for what it, it was. was Italian American playing a you know Muslim American man. Yes, and it it worked so well, but because of just poor timing on you know an angle that they ran on the day that they ran it. Because of the London bombings and them having, or him having like a terrorist hit squad come out to attack the Undertaker, yeah. his career is then completely ruined because of this one instance, and it's it sucks. 
and like you said, there there were some storylines that just better they're better left forgotten. They're better left not talked about. Much like the Katie Vick storyline, which yeah. at the time we were we were younger. You know, we were around twelve, thirteen when that happened, and you know, I I know that I was a huge Kane fan, and all I wanted was him to just beat up Triple H exactly. during this time, and that made me kind of want him to beat up Triple H more. I don't think there was never a, a time during this era when you didn't want Triple H to be beaten up because his that's hero a persona. Good point. And, and that's anything, something I want to get to anything a little he, later. We'll, we'll talk about Reign of Terror a little bit yes. later. But um, a couple good things here, Bubs. Once this era did change and the years started to progress, we got a lot less, how do I call them, cat fights, um, bra and panty matches. Um, that was really mud, a downfall of mud, the ruthless aggression. <laughs> Huge downfall. Yeah. I mean, I, I do certainly remember, I think, um, Vicky Guerrero being in like a pit of mud or pudding or something to that effect. That, I, I that, was, that was, no, that wasn't, that was when she was getting fired, I believe, or okay. at least okay. I remember her throwing Stephanie McMahon into the yeah. pit of mud, but that was way past the Ruthless Aggression era, Bubs. Okay. I, may, I may be getting the year but, wrong. But you're though. right, though. There's a lot of that that happened during this time. The, the women... Were the diva searches were a big deal yeah. during this time, and what, what did that provide us except for really bad television, okay. some terrible promos, um, horrible? It hurt the wrestling thing, is what it, it did. It did that. That whole diva search thing is what created the divas division, and is what was the biggest downfall of women's wrestling. Why we have this women's revolution now mm-hmm. is because of this time. Because you went from having Jazz, Lita, Trish, Ivory, Molly Holly, to Candice Michelle, yeah, uh, Kelly Kelly, Mich- Kelly Kelly, Michelle McCool, you know the, these kind. Uh, just that transition was just so bad, mm-hmm. and it's really a shame. And really, the only person that has stuck around from that time is is Maurice, and that's because she's she, on the later part of it, but she's more important right. now. Yeah, yes, Maurice and. Maria Canellis, I think, maybe, was on it. I don't want to... Yeah, you might be you know, speaking on that one. Yeah. Michelle McCool, only by circumstance as well. During <laughs> True. What she's doing. But it did give us... We got Trish Stratus from this. We got Lita becoming a legitimate wrestler. Tori Wilson got better at what she did from what she was okay. a little bit. And you got some of the older people. You mentioned a lot of them. Ivory, Jacqueline, um, Jazz, Molly Holly. All these people that were uh, you know, an era beforehand pushing a lot of this new talent forward, specifically uh, Lita and, and Trish, because they seem to be the most memorable. They're still talked about now, and we'll see them in a yes. month or so. But um, even debuts of, like, Beth, Beth Phoenix bubs. We got Beth Phoenix uh, from this era as the well. The Glamazon. I, I was a big fan of the Glamazon. And, damn, I, this is the only time we I actually get to mention this. Gail Kim, very underappreciated, I guess. The most underappreciated – when she was in WWE. Yes. The most underappreciated women's wrestler – of this time. Yeah. Now, she went to TNA, and they treated her as a proper star, a as god. she is. Yep. Yes. And she's been molded since then into into greatness. And Mickey James, Melina a little bit, too. So a lot of... Bringing up some good names there. A lot of, yeah, a lot of good stuff happened. We got away from what the women were portrayed as during the Attitude Era, but then we are calling them But, but it goes now. right back. It does. But then it's it, just a it, different it word It takes a now, huge step backwards after, you know, the, the people that you mentioned, the Trishas, the Litas, 
you know, once they kind of leave and pass the torch to these divas, mm-hmm. it takes a huge step backwards. The in-ring quality takes a huge step back. The kind of storylines, and and there weren't a lot of great storylines uh, with women during the Trish Lita time frame because you had you had Trish uh, with in a story with uh, Christian and Chris Jericho. Yeah. Over who's gonna uh, sleep with her first, kind of thing, and that that was really indicative of what how WWE portrayed women during this time, and why it's so important to have this women's revolution and to have evolution coming up soon. Yeah. I don't know, Bubs. I... There's Talk nothing, to me. There's nothing memorable from this time from the whole women's era. I mean, I mean you. But you, you say that, but you had the first ever Raw headlined, main evented by Lita. women. Yeah. Lita and Trish, main evented Raw. Okay, I'm not saying that isn't important and is not memorable to to an extent, but the way that women were treated, the, the diva term in general never caught on. Horrible. It yeah. never, the butterfly belt that they carried around was, Horrible. was demeaning throughout, and Though they were treated at times, you know, as legit stuff, I'm, I, I think, I don't remember which one it was, but Jazz is like the second main event beneath the Triple H Jericho. So WrestleMania 18 is what it would have been. So Jazz beats Lita in the match right before Triple H and Chris Jericho. They're treated as far as, the, you know, the card bookings, as Women's Championship was right below the Undisputed title at that time. So that's a good takeaway, but that was certainly not a consistent thing that we no, saw. No, it, it and, wasn't consistent at all, but you also had, you know, there were some great builds, like the Mickey James, Trish Stratus story was probably one of the best stories of all time in the women's division, mm-hmm. uh, pre-kind of what we have going on now. So just... I'm with you as a whole. The the, the women slash divas division was it, it took huge steps forward, and then took monumental steps backwards in a very short amount of time. But Bubs, you know what what I want to get into with the ruthless aggression era is I want to get into kind of I want to talk about our favorite matches, our favorite stories, our favorite wrestlers during this time. Good. Just. Go, going through these different categories and just reminiscing about some of the because I know for for me and most likely for you this was kind of the most influential time in our wrestling kind of watching careers. I don't want to call them careers, but I'm the careerist at watching it. Yes, I am. Uh, this was when for me it was must watch every Monday night. It, it never failed. No matter what I was doing, I would get, get home do my homework as fast as I could so that way I had nothing that would stop me from watching Raw from 8 to 10 Central Time. So for, for me, this was a huge time because I watched it religiously. This was one of the, the, the time when I watched it the most. I was the most uh, drawn into it. I was the most emotional about it. So I, I don't know about you, but for me, this was the most important time in wrestling for me. And I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you, but I'll, I'll say it like this because this this time transitioned into our, into our teenage years, right? So we yes. were much more aware of what was going on. We weren't so young and innocent anymore, and we could actually care and recognize what was going on, get into the storylines much more. So this time frame, especially when I was in that 
you know, I guess 14 or 15 year old time, I was much more into wrestling than I, I realized that I was in the Attitude Era. It's still going to be my favorite era back then, but okay. with, with the amount of stars that were here in Ruthless Aggression and as a lot of the great matches that we saw, there was never a disappointing time. There, there's some crap on some pay-per-views that, occurs, that occur in 98 and 99. Outside of yeah. main event stuff, some of it is absolute garbage. In 2002, 3, 4, most of the cards you're going to see, at least in the major fours, are pretty well put together. And the matches and the storylines are, are even better. Uh, maybe better is not the right word, but you care about them more. So this era, at least for some years, I'll say, not, not the entire thing, definitely not the entire era to, to, to up until 2008, but uh, a lot of this I care a lot more about than I did from the 97 to 2001 time. And I think the main reason for that, and we talked about this when talking about the Attitude Era, was that with the Attitude Era, everything was just chaotic. Things changed from week to week. There was no continuity at all. Uh, the only kind of consistency we had was that Stone Cold and The Rock were going to be in the main event. Yep. You know, uh, During this Ruthless Aggression Era, we had a lot of you know blending of storylines. We had storylines that, that lasted... A while we had rivalries that lasted more than just a week you know so we we were able to get more invested into the product you yeah. had and, and a lot of credit should go to and it won't it doesn't but you mentioned earlier the in-ring product was much better and we had guys like the undertaker in the main event chris jericho in the main event, Shawn Michaels, Triple H in the main event. And I think that that name there, Triple H, might be the most important part of this equation mm. because really when the company gets turned over to him, like he, he becomes the guy. Clearly he is the guy. The entire in-ring product changes because he, he has the nickname, the Cerebral Assassin, right? He's very cerebral in how he... Uh, conducts how he puts together his matches and you kind of see that carry over into the rest of the product you know the main event matches are a lot more technical they're a lot more story driven than they were before because before with with Stone Cold and The Rock they weren't great technical wrestlers they would just go out there and brawl and put on a great show Triple H was much more technical and because of that Everyone around him started to become more technical in how they put matches together, and so the in-ring product then began to take off from there. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with you, and also I think that helped with a lot of the other stars that were around a guy like a Triple H, because it's easy for the entire product to mold themselves that way when they just watch an Eddie Guerrero match, and then they just watch a Kurt Angle match, and then they see Triple H in the main event of every pay-per-view going forward. It's easy to adjust like that because anybody on the lower part of that card that's seeing a Guerrero or an Angle, they're going to realize, okay, I need to get to that, you know, that level on the card or be like them in some way. I need to kind of change what I'm doing. So the style of chaoticness, for lack of a better word, that happened three or four years earlier wasn't going to get over anymore. The storylines were more developed. Triple H is one of the best storytellers in the ring. He yes. can sell a storyline throughout the entire match and. I think there's a pretty, even though I hate a lot of it, of, you know, how much Triple H was in the main event, it was pretty worthy because 
outside of, you know, I mentioned we've talked about Undertaker and Kurt Angle, outside of really a select few people up until John Cena becomes John Cena, Triple H has to be the guy. Well, especially on Raw, there was no one else on Raw. Right. SmackDown had the SmackDown 6, where you yeah. had Undertaker, Kurt Angle, uh, Edge, Eddie Guerrero. All of these guys were on SmackDown. So SmackDown was the top show for a little bit of the time there because you had guys like Paul Heyman and Stephanie McMahon were running that part of the company. Yeah. Uh, so on Raw, there there was nobody. And, you know, I remember watching growing up wanting there to be Rob Van Dam beating Triple H for the title or Booker T winning the title from Triple H. But honestly, other than Triple H, who who was a main event level talent during this reign of terror that lasted from 2003 till around 2005, I think it was, or 2004 maybe when Batista beat him? Mm-hmm. I think Goldberg was overlooked for what he was when he came over. He did win that. He did take the title from him. He did, but there there's potential in at least the booking of what happened to Goldberg in the Attitude Era WCW. They could have transitioned that a lot better and built a much yes. more realistic feud between Triple H and he. But instead, we got a lot. Mo- not that it was bad because some of it was good, but we got more Scott Steiner than we Ugh. probably wanted at that time. And Booker T. I don't need a Scott Steiner Triple H arm wrestling match or push up competition, no. pubs. We got that, though. And Booker T, it's a great mention there. He he as well could have been booked to the sky. I mention it as much as I can. I'm still upset at Triple H because Booker T should have gone over at WrestleMania, but he didn't. Yes, 100% agree. Triple H was the guy. He had to be because on Raw, Kane was there as well. Kane's not a guy you're going to put in the top. He's not a a top of the draw. No, No. He, he can be in every feud in the top. He can't yes. be the top guy, though. And, I mean, everyone else was on. It really was a lot of SmackDown, Bob. SmackDown was so good back then. And then eventually we get Brock Lesnar coming into his own. And that's really kind of what I want to – you talked about talking about some of our, our guys. Yeah, um, let's go ahead and get into our favorite wrestlers during this time. And I'm I'm really going to talk about Evolution, Bubs, because Evolution was so well-structured and put together. It from, was. From older Ric Flair to the current greatness you have of Triple H – to the future, which was Dave Batista and Randy Orton, to put them in a group together. One, it, of course, for two young guys like Orton and Batista, it hides their weaknesses. You put them in tag matches. You put them in three-on-three matches or something like that. You use a lot of outside interference because they were heel, right? Of course, they were yes. heel. And faction. you have Ric Flair and Triple H do most of the in-ring work. Exactly. And it, it helps these guys develop into what they can become. And we still see Randy Orton today being maybe even better than he was in 2004 or 5, depending on what your take oh, of him absolutely. is. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Sure, he may have lost a step of quickness and maybe one rating of, of agility, but um, his <laughs> But that character, power slam is still gorgeous. Power slam is quicker than it used to be, too. Oh, so good. And every time Batista does come back, he can still work a ring. He's still just as big, and you know he's he was so good. And the way they booked him, you mentioned him beating Triple H. That was such a... That's a momentous thing that, that happened back in, in that time frame. And I wanted to talk about the, the stable itself because I think it really does go... It doesn't It's not mentioned enough the way that they used Flair and Triple H specifically to build the future, which in this case right now is still partially Randy Orton. And it, it's really no mystery why Evolution was Whoa. pieced together the way it was, no matter what Lemmy says uh, in the intro... But 
the the thing with evolution, why it works so brilliantly, is because guys like Ric Flair and Triple H had no qualms about, you know, sharing their knowledge, sharing what they knew about the business and what worked in the business. And you saw a lot of that when when once Randy Orton and Batista went out on their own. You know, they they had great, you know, in ring singles careers and put together some great stories themselves put together some great matches and a lot of it there was a lot of influence from you know with with triple h there's a lot or with randy orton there's a lot of influence for triple h you know just that cerebral just kind of you know gritty uh, aggressive kind of healness of of triple h kind of rubbed off on Randy Orton. Randy Orton's one of the, the great heels of the last decade, mm-hmm. uh, or, or more, the last couple decades. Uh, Batista, he, you know, his his just raw power and just natural charisma was, you know, molded from one of the most charismatic people of all time, one of the guys with, with the most natural charisma to ever lace up a pair of boots and Ric Flair. You know these these guys were able to impart their wisdom and knowledge, and they weren't afraid to put these guys over because they knew. And sure, there was a lot of young guys that they didn't put over, but they knew that in the long run, Randy Orton and Batista were going to be much bigger stars than you know some of the other people that they were asked to do programs with. Yeah. And I just happened to pull up WrestleMania 20's card real quick, Bubs, because you had mentioned the. The slew of tag teams that, that we had seen, right? So many, so many. So just, just real quick here, Booker T and Rob Van Dam. Yes. Together, they were t- they won at WrestleMania, obviously. Um, the Dudley and Boys Bulldust were, were team too. The, the, the Dudley Boys still hanging out here. Garrison, Cade, and Mark Jindrak. La Resistance. Yes. Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati, the APA, the Basham Brothers, the world's greatest tag team, just to name a few. And Garrison Cade becomes Lance Cade, Lance Cade. and fused and uh, feuds no, uh, and teams with Trevor Murdoch. Yes, that was a they, pretty fun team. They they did some stuff for a little while. That wasn't too bad, but I mean, uh, that, it f- faded quickly. But a lot of just looking at this card because it just brings up a lot of memories here. The matchwork in general that we've been talking about. Let's talk about Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle real quick. We need to talk okay. about how Kurt Angle should be and is not. So yesterday, WWE released their list of greatest SmackDown performers as we're creeping up on uh, SmackDown 1000 in 10 days, I think it is, bubs. So they, they released their greatest uh, 15 or 25 of some shit like that of the best okay. wrestlers to ever be on SmackDown. Now, Rock came in at number before one. You, well, before you start rattling off names okay. i haven't i haven't seen this list so i want to kind of throw okay. out who i think would be on mm. the greatest give me a, you know, give me a the, top five the top five i think greatest smackdown kind of wrestlers and during this time you know smackdown was huge yes um and i'm not going to name this in any particular order because i don't think that's fair um i'm going to have eddie guerrero i'm going to have the Rock, because The Rock yep. made SmackDown. Without That's The Rock, show. I don't think SmackDown survives. Okay. Uh, so you have Eddie Guerrero, The Rock, Kurt Angle, I would have on there. Uh, the Undertaker, I would definitely have on there. And I would put Edge on there. Okay, and you would have just named four of the top five <sighs> that WWE put on there. So let me, uh, Edge isn't on there? 
Edge is on there. Kurt Angle happens okay. to not Wha- be on there. And <laughs> Whoa. I, I know. Whoa. I know. But the only time Kurt Angle was on Raw was when he was feuding with Shawn Michaels. Sure. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't. But due to 2018 and the current era, we have to recognize AJ Styles. And he was placed at number uh, three. Clubs. At number three. Yeah. I love AJ. And he, he will go down as one of the best SmackDown guys of all time. Yeah. But I th- I think he's on the outside looking in on this top five. I think maybe I seven, eight. I completely agree, and I replaced him with Kurt Angle when I was oh, absolutely because I completely agree with the rest of their five. I didn't even I, think about AJ Styles when I was just throwing no, these names. <laughs> no way. But he's been there for, damn, his whole time, I think, since debuting. Um, he debuted. He was on Raw for a while, but once SmackDown went live – it became he became the face that ran the place. Yes, which is great. It was the house that AJ Styles built. It absolutely worked. So he gets the love there, Bubs. So that makes sense, I guess, okay. to put put a current name in there. But the the he match worked. I know I'm just, upset about it too. You know he's my guy. I but... know. So please rant on. <laughs> Him. We we talked about this match obviously WrestleMania 20 Guerrero versus Kurt Angle. The technical matches that we used to see in WCW Cruiserweight World at, like, undercards on pay-per-views were now making their way to top-card WWE stuff. Rey Mysterio ends up winning a world title, right? He wins at WrestleMania down the road. We get Eddie Guerrero winning here. We, of course, get Chris Benoit. We'll talk about that one in a second because you want to talk about favorite matches. Mine will be up next. Then Kurt Angle's all over the place. So match work, and t- you mentioned the technical skills of Triple H rubbing off, and I you know, brought up Angle and, and Guerrero to match that. Many other things were increasing in overall match skill. Promos were getting better. You know, Some people used an advocate you know, like a Paul Heyman, because Brock Lesnar, when, he came, when he came there. on the scene, yeah. When Brock came on the scene, who was right there outside the ring with him on day one when he attacked the Hardy Boys? You're right, Paul Heyman. Oh, fucking Heyman. And... Rock's character when he, you know, was brought up from OVW to go and do that and booked as the next big thing and found himself on the front cover of the of SmackDown games. He was booked as. as Here a comes huge the pain guy. was so good too. Such a good game. We great ranted game. about wrestling games. We should do it every damn show. We should. But technical skills and Brock. Brock's a great example of that, right? Pure wrestler, Division One winner. He knows what he's doing. Kurt Angle can't cut a can't cut a promo to save his life. He could never cut a promo. That's what little, Paul Heyman's for. He could he could be hilarious backstage. You remember him wearing a sombrero and doing some nonsense. And, and, and I remember him having you know when him and Kurt Angle were yeah. feuding about who was the best at everything. Yep, they were just so competitive. Um, but yeah, just the the technical prowess of some of these guys like Brock Lesnar. Definitely Kurt Angle, and probably someone someone who gets so much love but doesn't get enough love. Kurt, uh, well, I almost say Kurt Angle again. Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. I it you can't. There's not a lot of matches that you go back and watch and you don't get sucked into yeah. because these guys that that's how good these guys were during this time. And a couple names I don't know if you brought up earlier, but just to talk about like the cruiserweight world, because WWE still did a version of the cruiserweight championship early in this time. Remember, I think Chavo Guerrero was running the scene for a little bit, but oh yeah, you had, you had Billy Kidman, you had Jamie Noble, Bubs, Rey Mysterio uh, was plugged in there a little bit. Tajiri never gets enough love. Shannon Moore, you brought up him. So the technical skills that were great in WCW five or six years earlier were now becoming pretty relevant 
on some of these you know major WWE cards at this point, and this is great, great TV. These were good pay-per-views you were buying because storylines were usually decent, but now you could also look forward to match work to, to equal some of that, or if the storyline wasn't as good, you're now going to get a pretty good match because you're going to see Chavo doing some heel crap with his fucking dad. And, and yes, Chavo Senior. Yeah, and Shannon Moore and Tajiri and hell, the Ultimo Dragon even popped in a little bit here and there. But and what what I loved about this time, you you brought up Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero, definitely Kurt Angle was one of your boys. Yeah. You know, one of my guys. I think he was number one on my top three list. He made his big comeback during this era, and I I think that was a big part of why I became so invested during this time is because Shawn Michaels made yeah. his in-ring return during this time in 2002 at Survivor Series against Triple H and from that moment on until he retired in 2011 I believe mm-hmm. it, he had just everything he did was just so good he, he the, the in-ring work was untouchable, barring Kurt Angle in that short amount of time that we got Kurt Angle, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what set Shawn Michaels, I think, apart is because we have a much larger sample size. But he, he, to me, the ruthless aggression era is defined by you know these great in ring talents, and there there were none greater than Shawn Michaels. A lot of people, a lot of people, even you know people we we consider the greatest in-ring workers of all time, like a Ric Flair, mm-hmm. they claim that Shawn Michaels is the greatest wrestler they've ever seen. Yeah. And I'm I'm, I'm liking to, to agree with them. But you, not only was Shawn Michaels so great, but the ascension of some of the guys that we watched during the Attitude Era into the main event scene was a great part of the Ruthless Aggression Era. Mm-hmm. Edge coming in to coming into his own as the rated R superstar becoming a main event player uh, having a phenomenal feud with John Cena um, Jeff Hardy finally ascending to the top and becoming a main event player uh, the ruthless aggression era was was chock full of these guys that we we loved watching in the attitude era that finally got their shot yeah because there really was no other options. There were there were some really good mid card guys during this time, but that's all they were were mid card guys. They would never ascend to the main event. Carlito wasn't going to be a main event guy. Chris Masters wasn't going to be a main event guy. So you you had to have some of these guys that the, that the crowd was so behind. The crowd was always going to be behind Jeff Hardy. He could never be a heel. He's one of those guys like. Daniel Bryan now, you know, you you wouldn't believe him as a heel. So that's one of the beauties of the Ruthless Aggression era is that there were so many guys that we beloved, that we loved when we were younger, and we got to see them mature into top-level main event guys. Right. Rob Van Dam's another guy. Yeah. And just to use to bookend this on the other end, the the end of the ruthless aggression era, you know that 2008 time frame is kind of when it's decided as. So I looked at the WrestleMania for that year, right? And during that time, the Money in the Bank ladder match was full of mid card guys. 
that you were now going to become, you know, maybe moving into that upper card, that frame now, right? So it wasn't a lot of, like we've seen a few years back, we see a John Cena winning a Money in the Bank. That's not what early Money in the Bank was for. No. Right? So let's look it at It was a to get of, a guy like Edge over. Yeah. So let's look at a couple names here that are in this mid-card title, and let's look at them in now the 2018 perspective, because this is now 10 years removed. How big is John Morrison right now in 2018, Bubs? Uh, in WWE or just no, in, in general? In the, in the wrestling world. In the wrestling world, Johnny Mundo is a big deal. Or Johnny Impact, or Johnny Lucha, or yeah. Johnny, Johnny Insert Name, right? He's world-traveled, still looks great, amazing. Carlito. Parkour. Yeah, parkour. <laughs> Carlito, Carlito, to, to a lesser so degree much. now. Mexico so and Puerto Rico more so now. But then, talent, right? CM Punk, he wins the ladder in the Money in the Bank here. CM Punk was, he's a great example of WWE finally broke away from you have to be a big man in the Attitude Era or you have to be rock or stone cold to basically succeed, right? So I think Ruthless Aggression is also that time of that normal-sized, for lack of a better word, these are still big guys that we're talking about here, but normal-sized wrestlers like Guerreros, like Punks, like Jerichos that are now going to succeed because they can connect with the crowd. They can cut a mean yes. promo. They're really good in the ring. So Jericho's another guy on here, and even in 2018, Bubs, he holds the second-highest relevant title in New Japan right now. Never defended it, by the way. And, and hasn't even appeared on New Japan programming. And it's rounded out by Shelton Benjamin, MVP, and Mr. Kennedy. So mid-card, 2008, was nice. I like it, it was. I like MVP. MVP. was nice. I can't stand Mr. Kennedy. Um, and yeah, whichever one. Yeah, Ken Anderson. He, he's got a lot of issues that you know he had to deal with. But you know the, these were really – and we talked about this. The mid-card was stacked. Uh, the main of ev- the main event was stacked. Yep. I I don't think there was a a time when you're disappointed with the talent that is wrestling on the card during this era. Uh, I remember watching uh, the WrestleMania where Undertaker wrestled Batista for the World Heavyweight Title. Um, you had, I guess, the only time and going. I, I didn't really want to travel down this road, but. Raw, let's get it. Raw had some really went through a, a dry spell there. Um, I remember going. Raw came to the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, we waited in line, got tickets. The main event that night was Bobby Lashley. Um, it was like a tag team match, and Bobby Lashley was the 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 main draw during that time. Okay, and that that wasn't a great time for no. For Raw. So, I, as much praise as we give the main event scene, you know, this there there was kind of a time when, at least on Raw, because on SmackDown, that's where all the good stuff was happening. Yeah, that's absolutely. where that's where the Undertakers were wrestling. That's where but the Batistas were wrestling, the Booker T's, the Crispin Waz. You know, all these guys were wrestling on SmackDown and on Raw. Raw was just branded on the name alone. Monday Night Raw's its own brand. Uh, John Cena was hurt at this time, so we we didn't have anything there. Kane and, okay. and Bobby Lashley were the only two guys running the the scene at that time, so it it, it wasn't it wasn't all good 
for a lot of the praise that we're giving the the ruthless aggression era. You know, and when you think about it, a lot of it has to do with SmackDown. So ruthless uh, SmackDown era. Exactly, uh, SmackDown is what defines this era, really, because all of the main stars were were on SmackDown. And I don't know if that was just to kind of draw ratings for SmackDown because it, it's right. you know notoriously you know it's always lower than Raw. Or was WWE just so sure that the, the Raw brand itself was was going to carry it uh, during these, these kind of tough times? Because Triple H was hurt, I think, at this time also. Um, and Paul Heyman cut, when he was cutting a promo at One Night Stand, you know, telling JBL that the only reason he was champion is because Triple H didn't want to work on Tuesdays. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's... I love this era. I love this time, but it, it wasn't it wasn't all good throughout the company. Yeah, I, and I think you're you're referring to a very specific time when Raw was just branded as the name, right? Because once John Cena becomes your WWE champion and he brings the spinner belt and he gets drafted to Raw, Chris Jericho introduces him in the ring as the the new uh, number one pick to Raw. That's when, and we, we've we've avoided talking about him at this point, Bubs. But we need to talk about John Cena. Oh, absolutely. We, I need, mean... we need to talk about how he goes from Thugonomics to beating the Big Show for the U.S. title to beating the to beating JBL for the championship. And let's, I mean, when you want to, I'm also ready to talk about how good JBL's reign was because uh, one, of he the, one of the best was, heel title reigns. He was perfect so... for the time of what he yes. was. Yes, he was a placeholder. But yes, he deserved a to year, be the opportunity. A year-long placeholder, Bubs? That's I know. That's an intense placeholder. I think he was, though, Bubs. And outside of him, we could, you could have had more reigns by the great Kali. Is that what you wanted? Because no, absolutely you did. not. Okay. Uh, we could have had more Undertaker. We could have had more Batista, Booker T. Booker T only had one reindeer in this time. Okay. Um... You, you can't have more Edge. I mean, he was an 11-time champion during this four-year run. Yeah, <laughs> but he, you're, he you're, did fine. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, there's there's no bigger star, and we could both agree on this. There's no bigger star that was made during this time, that lived through this time, that worked during this time than John Cena. Yeah. You know, the ruthless aggression era. The the term was coined. For him, honestly, yeah. when you think about it, when he uh, accepted Kurt Angle's open challenge, you know exactly. that was that was that was his promo. You know he's he's going to give him some ruthless aggression because that was the big you know got to reach for the brass ring. You know Vince McMahon wants to see some ruthless aggression. Yes, or he cut the promo aggression too. If you were Chris Benoit, yes, toothless. Uh, that was a good time. But jo- John Cena, this was this was his moment. He sees the moment, and not enough gets talked about the Doctor of Thugonomics. No. That was a great, a great character. He absolutely ran with it. He made it his own. And you go back and watch some of this, and some of the biggest pops you'll hear, you know, barring going back a few years back and listening to anytime the glass broke and you know Stone Cold comes out. John Cena was getting some huge, massive pops. Huge. You wouldn't hear a boo in the arena. 
you, you, don't, hear, you don't hear booze for 12 years after that when people yeah. start getting tired of him. But th- he, this character is a great example of somebody who's supposed to be heel, who's far too good at what he does, who's yeah. far too good on the mic, who can connect with everybody in the crowd, and they no longer want to boo the person. John Cena was far too good in character for that heel gimmick to last, and it did not last. No. People got behind it. People liked his rap. People were all about him. He was decent at it. He, it's yeah. not like he was bad at it either. Exactly. And then it's an easy transition because he replaces his jersey that he's wearing with the hometown jersey of whatever cities he's he's in. Exactly. And cheers just out 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 the world, bub. And the pops were huge, and they didn't deny it. He quickly went into the mid card scene, like we already mentioned. He beat the Big Show. So, and it's just you know skyrockets in flight from there, and he gets jammed down our throats according to the internet for the next fifteen years. And and he was. Let's be real. Sure. The way John Cena was booked was in a way kind of akin to how Hulk Hulk Hogan was booked, you know, but also in a way kind of like Stone Cold Steve Austin was booked in the era prior. The biggest stars of an era get booked the same way that the previous guy was booked. Roman Reigns is getting booked the same way John Cena was booked, and it's going to happen era after era, star after star, it's going to be the same. And the only problem is nowadays people are getting sick of it a lot quicker. And John Cena was the start of that. People got sick of that pretty quickly. About two to three years in, people were sick of the John Cena thing. Stone Cold only got sick of that. Hulk Hogan, it took about 10, 12 years for people to get sick of it. Mm-hmm. But John Cena is when it started. You know, nowadays we're a lot quicker to kind of shit on, you know, the stars that they want us to cheer. Because we were all about Roman Reigns in 2015. Yep. 2014. He had a huge pop and he was the most popular one in the Shield. Yes. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is the guy they want to be the top guy. Oh, I don't like that because it's not who. I didn't. I didn't tell them this is the guy I wanted. Even though we were buying his merch, we were cheering him we every time. The shit out of him. He, he got the hot tag every time, mm-hmm. and you know got the big pop from it. That's what determines whether WWE's going to push a guy or not is the fan reaction. They listen to the fans. Yep. Believe it or not, um, sure they get stuck in their ways. Uh, now you know you would think that they would kind of go away from him, but they kind of did. If you think about it. They had the title on Brock Lesnar for a hot minute. Yep. Uh, Roman Reigns was taking clean losses left and right. When he was suspended and came back from his suspension, he was eating losses in the mid card like it was oh, like it was a fucking hard. joke, man. Finn and, Balor could 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 just flick him, give him the finger poke of doom, and get a yeah. win against. He, pay, he paid his dues, and that was enough for me because the guy is far too good looking and carries the appeal that WWE yeah, yes. wants to not be at the top of the card. So. I mean, I, we've been over it for a while. We, we we support the Roman push, and we'll continue to do so because he should be in the top card and should be holding the title right now. Yes. So. But going back to, to John Cena, you know, should... And, and now, as much as... And I... Oh, I hated John Cena. Whew, don't get me wrong. I hated John Cena because I'm the kind of guy that hates the dynasty. I hate, I hate the teams that always win. I used to when I was younger. I hated the teams that always won because I always wanted other people to win. When Triple H was a champ, I wanted Rob Van Dam to win. I wanted Kane to be champ. I wanted to see these guys have their moments. But now, now that I'm older, I appreciate greatness a whole lot more. I want some of the the great 
fighters like Anderson Silva. I, I, I never wanted him to lose and lose the way he did. Um, you know, you don't want to see guys like Mike Tyson go down the way they did. And so with John Cena, we appreciate now, you know, his legacy a whole lot more than what we did back then. Uh, I, I know it was around 2006. That's where my hate of John Cena kicked in. Did, did you ever go through that I hate John Cena phase? I never had a hate John Cena phase because I was never as into him as the rest of the crowd was. He was never my guy. So I was okay. a little bit indifferent for most of his reign throughout the late part of the the 2000s era towards the 2010 time frame. I knew he was always around. I, I booed for him when I felt it necessary. I cheered for him um, when I thought it was necessary too. But he was really never my dude because Shawn Michaels was still around in this era. I mean, Randy Orton was a dude of mine. Of course, The Undertaker was a dude of mine. And Kurt Angle, when he was there, was a dude of mine. So I was I was behind John Cena at times, but never really behind him like I was or am now. And it really, honestly, Bubs, I think it was last year, a year ago or so, that you finally up and admitted, either on <laughs> the show that we did, the episode, or it was just when we were talking, you said, okay, John Cena's actually the GOAT. I'm going to quit because a few years ago you still hated him. You I hated him. him. I hated his guts. I wanted happened. AJ Styles to just yeah. crush him. But you came around. You realized that, damn, he was good. And I'm glad that you're still behind it because maybe it took the best you. Of all time. He may be the best of all time. He really might be. And, and, and I think what really solidified it for me is that a lot of times you see these older guys and they don't change. They, they work they do the same thing over and over again that's worked for them for so long you, you, you get the big boot the leg drop from Hogan yep you know you get the middle finger and the stunner from Austin uh, a couple hell yeahs and you know throw me some beers uh, you, you, but John Cena has evolved he, he constantly has evolved and gotten better on the mic in the ring and I think that's what's that's what has set him apart from some of the all-time greats you know rick flair is is always going to be an all-time great but he you go back and watch any of his matches you watch a match from like the 1970s 1980s and then watch a match from the mid 90s and watch a match from the mid 2000s it's gonna be the same he's gonna climb up to the top rope and get thrown off never gonna work he's never gonna work his first match and his last match against Shawn michaels are the exact same entrance same move set same everything, but we all still love it. He's a yeah. guy who seems in, like no matter what he does or doesn't do, Flair's almost the exception, I think. Yes. Because of the era, because of how good he was in his character gimmick of what he was. <laughs> he was he was great, and and that's that's where the mic work over supersedes the in ring talent. But the in ring talent was great with Ric Flair. It sure was. I'm not going to ever say that he wasn't good in the ring because he was always good, always great. But a lot of it was the same. Yeah. You have – there's very few people who have gotten better with age. John Cena is one of those guys that has gotten better with age. He's, he's 40, but he's still improving in the ring mm -hmm. when he's motivated. Because John, John Cena motivated is the greatest of all time. Yeah. John Cena, when he's stagnant and just ho-humming, is is boring and generic. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of examples of that. But 
just other than him and Shawn Michaels, there's very few that with age they just continue to evolve and get better. And God, that's so weird putting him in the same sentence as Shawn Michaels, the great, in my opinion, the greatest in-ring wrestler of all time because of longevity, because of that evolution that we just talked about. Yeah. But John Cena, it, he continues to amaze me. Uh, he, he, when he threw out a Canadian Destroyer during a match, I was like, that's when I was sold. I think that was the moment where I was like, that okay, was that was it. That was the moment. His, his, his matches did it for me. His, his matches with... Kevin Owens. Really, with everybody. Uh, the, the U.S. Open challenges when... You know, he really, in my head, I started to go, okay, I kind of want John Cena to hold this U.S. title for a while. And part of me wanted him to win the, the big belt and kind of do that with the big belt. Could you imagine oh, God, an open challenge with, with the WWE title? I'm all for it, Bubs, and I, want, and I know that you're all for it, too, when John Cena breaks Ric Flair's record next year. It's going to. It has most, to happen. It has when to happen. I, it has to happen. Because... He deserves it. He that's that that'll get a lot of heat. I should watch my wording right there. Who does he build? Who does he who does he take it from? Does he take it from Roman? Because if he takes it from if, Roman, could you look, imagine the pop? That's the only way that I think people don't ultimately half and half boo it. If they continue to book Roman the way he is, strong, he could even lose it and regain it sometimes next year. Yes. But if they allow He loses it and regains it at like the Rumble. As sure. a transition champion to get to John Cena at WrestleMania, because it has to happen at WrestleMania. It really, not, it does. It means so much less if it happens at Roadblock or the Chamber <laughs> or even or at even SummerSlam or yeah, SummerSlam. I want John Cena to main event WrestleMania. I yes. want him to beat Roman Reigns, yes. and I want him to become a seventeen-time world champion. And it's ridiculous to say and that. That never gets broken. No, it'll never be touched. Randy Orton will get close, but that's it, right? So in 2019, there isn't much that I want. I want AJ Styles versus Seth Rollins. I want John Cena to beat Roman Reigns. That's I don't ask for a lot. I mean, I ask a lot for Bray Wyatt, but aside from that, I'm off that and for Rusev. now. And Rusev. It's Rusev year still. It's so not if, we, if we can, needs to be... <laughs> if, if he's about to job out to Aiden English, Bubs. He's, if he loses that feud, Bubs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, personal, you don't I want really, much. I like you don't it. Want... I, my point is, is that longevity means so much more to me now than it did when I was ten or fifteen. Oh, of course. Michaels, Flair. Even though Flair had some, you know, bad decisions going to other companies. If somebody can do this thing in the business for 20-plus years, be successful at it, avoid injuries because you stay healthy, and continue to add to your game, I'm going to put you in my personal you know, top five or top three, and I think a lot of other people will too. And Johnson is a guy, five years ago, I never would have said, oh, yeah, he'll be in my Mount Rushmore. But no. now that we've started doing this, this real critique of wrestling and this podcast and everything else that we do, it's so easy now to rank him number one in a lot of cases. And I never thought that ruthless aggression coming out and slapping Kurt Angle in the face would lead to 17-time world champion, Bobs. That's such a no. such a stretch that I never and, thought it would happen. And it's so great because like 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 we just talked about, 
it's because of the longevity that makes him so good, and it's also because of the evolution that he's that he's had. Without that, you know, the the next closest guy is Triple H. That's not going to happen. Uh, the next closest guy to that's Randy Orton. Orton that's yeah. not going to happen. You, you, Triple H and Randy Orton are not two guys that you think, okay, they can believably break Ric Flair's record. John oh, Cena, though, is a guy that you're like, he can, and honestly, I think he should. Yeah. And that that's when, when you're talking about the ruthless aggression era, we, we mentioned it already. The the greatest part of the ruthless aggression era is that we were given John Cena. We don't deserve John Cena. We we haven't deserved John Cena for a long time just because of how we've treated him yes. over the years. But here we are, you know, 13, 14, 15 years later, and we we finally come around. It took us so long. It took so long. I, I couldn't stand him. All right, so that, that's we talked about all of our favorite guys from this time. Um, let let's rapid fire go through some of our favorite matches during the ruthless aggression era. Okay, um, emotional. We we talked about it already. My my favorite emotional match that I go back and watch at least once a month is Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair. I love the storytelling. I love the build up to it. I love the match even because it's still 20 minutes of Ric Flair doing his best stuff. He and finally, it's, it's the same stuff too, but same stuff. We're, we're all in. It doesn't matter. It, the figure four locks in. I think, God, Sean's going to tap out. Um, that's an emotional Sean's such one for a me. great seller. He is because he's tapped out before at WrestleMania. Maybe he'll do it again. And then the only other one that sticks out to me is easily WrestleMania 20, the triple threat between Benoit, yes. Michaels, and Triple H. That is my favorite triple threat match of all time. Probably my favorite world championship match of all time. Maybe okay. in a tie with Rock versus Austin from um, 2001. Those are some amazing choices, Bubs. And you can't really go wrong with either of those or any of those. Uh, some of my favorite matches are Undertaker versus Jeff Hardy in a ladder match. Ladder match. Yes, oh, on Devil Raw. Undertaker. Yes. Um, God, what else? Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle. The triple threat, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, uh, Chris Benoit, Shawn Michaels, Triple H. That's mm. I mean, really serious. anything involving Shawn Michaels during this time. Um, Should we not mention Iron Man between Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar oh, on so SmackDown? That doesn't get enough love, bubs. You're right. I mean, I can't really. You can't debate say, it. So, I can't. Nope. It's just so um, good. Brock didn't tap out as the time expired. Very good. Uh, Brock versus Eddie Guerrero at No Way Out when Eddie Guerrero Eddie won, won the title. Brock versus um, Kurt at WrestleMania. <laughs> yes. Eddie versus Kurt at WrestleMania. <laughs> I mean, really, during this time, anything involving Kurt. Eddie, Edge, HBK, I loved it all. Yeah. It was all so good. Um, that's it. Like, I mean, honestly, that's that's running the gambit of the entire <laughs> ruthless aggression era. That pretty much is because at this point that, that we start to turn over towards two thousand and nine, ten, where we get more CM Punk. We still get a lot of 
Uh, uh, a lot of John Cena, more Undertaker. I mean, real quick. This is when for, the in-ring talent kind of takes a dip, though. I, I don't want to disc- discredit. We need to mention continuity of how long The Undertaker's worked for WWE. So yeah. every era that we talk about, we could talk about him in the Golden Era. We can talk about him <laughs> in New Generation. We can talk about him in Attitude Era, Ruthless Aggression, PG. On what was on, his best era? I think it's I think it's this time. It could have been this time because he had he had three different gimmicks during this time. He did, and he won uh, two WrestleMania World Titles during this time, as opposed to just one. I think during the Attitude Era. So he didn't do a lot of winning during the Attitude Era. He lost <laughs> a lot to Austin. Yes, Austin. Yeah. Uh, yes. But uh, he deserves a mention as well. But I mean. At this point, like like we've talked about, it's a lot of newer stars, a lot of different wrestling, a lot more exciting. Still some trash, still some terrible booking. We do still see some bikini matches and Playboy lumberjills, yeah. and you know that stuff is still existent. But it is. It it just it's never really going to go away. But we got John Cena, we got Evolution, which gave us all kinds of stars. We still get. I mean, hell, Hulk Hogan is still involved in this era too, Bubs, whether you want to admit it or not. I don't, though. I don't want to. But he's in one of the biggest WrestleMania matches of all time, crowd reaction-wise, between him and and The Rock. Him and McMahon. The Rock, yeah. McMahon, that's someone who doesn't get talked about enough during this era, is that Vince McMahon had quite a... Quite a few good feuds during this time. Him and Hogan. He did. Him he and Shawn Hogan. Michaels. Yeah. He he had. He's in the ring a lot. There was there was no reason for any of his matches to be as no as good as they were. Man, he but was carried this, a lot. He <laughs> was so good. But Bubs, the ad. Well, I was about to say the Attitude Era, but yourself. yeah, yeah, I know. They're almost interchangeable uh, in some in some ways, uh, especially early on. But where the ruthless aggression era really separates itself is is during or is during the in ring work, and I don't think there's much debate that the ruthless aggression era was better by far than the attitude era in terms of in-ring work what did it have as big of mainstream talent or mainstream stars as the attitude era no probably not yeah but i think there's so much good that came out of the ruthless aggression era that it doesn't get enough it's really the forgotten era and it, it might be one of the best that ever happened it, it is the forgotten one because when the next one when we talk about pg era people start shitting on it right away because just right just away. because it's called the pg era right it's a lot more family friendly it's safer where there's no more headshots the blood is limited all this stuff but if we don't have the ruthless aggression and attitude era of course sets they, they set up one another but if we don't have all the stars all the great feuds and rivalries that we had in this time frame we don't get anything that we have in 2018, and 2018 is one of the best years of wrestling. It really in is. Ring, Through, in ring, absolutely. In ring, across the world, not just WWE, because we seem to be talking mostly WWE right now with this era, <sighs> yeah. but Bubs, like, this was such a good and useful era with a lot of a lot of great cards, a lot of great talent, much more talent than we got in the Attitude Era, but 
Bigger stars? Probably not, but we still get some consistency. We still get The Undertaker being just as big. Triple H becomes even bigger. We get John Cena. We get Batista. We get Orton. Kurt Angle becomes great. Brock Lesnar ascends to the top. It just keeps on going. We talk about the stars, though. I mean, you've got Batista and John Cena, two of the biggest mainstream stars right now in the world. Um, but you're absolutely right. There, there's so much good that came out of the Ruthless Aggression era. So much just, from top to bottom, in my opinion, it's one of, if not the greatest, uh, eras in wrestling. And I'm so glad that we were able to talk about it today. So thank you. Thank you for, for, for you know, letting this happen. Thank you to the listeners for, for allowing us the opportunity to be in your ears right now talking about, to me, the most, this was the most fondest time of my wrestling life. And I hope I portrayed that enough. And I'm just so excited that we were able to, to have this talk. You sound like such a mark. You shut your mouth. By the way, Conor McGregor just walked out, Bubs. This match is happening. Oh, man. As we speak, huh? Yep, as, as we speak. But, Bubs, the Ruthless Aggression Era, <laughs> what is your – I've given clearly given my strong opinion on it. What is your lasting impression of this time? It's the most relevant time for – WWE stars to be created, mm-hmm. developed, okay, and then used to their fullest potential. And as we see with guys like Batista, his fullest potential is not in the WWE ring. He can do no. other great things. John Cena's trying that as well. Miz has tried that as well. Orton, everyone else has tried their hand at the movie scene and, and things outside of the ring, and we, you know, we applaud them for that step. You know. Following the rock shoes. We applaud them for that. That means they didn't succeed. <laughs> well, Batista has succeeded. Yes. I think he, he, he's certainly done well. I love the era because there's a, the, the ring work is every match that I go back and watch, like I said, at least once a month, most of them, at least, you know, out of the 10 that I probably watched, seven or eight of them are from this era. So I think that that says a lot about what's going on. I don't care about as much of the mid card like you do. I mean, that's a bigger deal for you in this era specifically, because I'm yes. much more set on the bigger stars, edge undertaker angle, uh, Guerrero, Brock, all these guys. Um, I'm glad we had them. They developed, they gave us what we have right now. And we still have, I mean, what f- sometimes the, the major five still showing up, depending on if Batista wants to show up or Brock wants to show up and we have Shelton Benjamin back. Hell that's great stuff. Bubs. It, it is. So, and, uh, there, a lot of – I can't talk enough about – because you're right. The mid-card was a, a big deal for me. You know, Ron Van Dam, I was a huge fan of. You know, Jeff Hardy, I was a huge fan of. Edge, before he became the rated R superstar, I was a big fan of. So him getting – all these guys getting promoted into the main event were, were huge for me, which is why this era was so important personally to me. And which is why I'm so glad that we were able to have this discussion. And really, I hope that this era, I, I hope it meant a lot to, to everyone else. I, ho- I hope that everyone listening has, you know, even if they don't have fond memories, but just memories in general 
of this era because that's what leads to such great discussions, such great feedback from the from everyone who listens. I get messages from people who listen all the time about like, wow, I'm glad you guys talked about this. Or I found it interesting that you guys talked about this. So I hope we get a lot of that for this era because and I feel we're gonna get a lot more of that during the PG era because of a lot of the people, you know, that's just so relevant now. But the but the ruthless aggression era is one of my favorite eras of all time, if not my favorite and it produced my favorite superstars of all time. And I'm just so happy we were able to devote so much time to it because it's not talked about enough. So thank you for listening to to us talk about it, mostly just me ranting incoherently about some of the things that I loved. Per um, the usual. Though. Yes, and that's, that's what makes me so lovable, Bubs, is that well, I'm just... I get so emotional about things, and this is the most... Now, when we talk about the PG era, where I'm going to talk a lot of uh, Daniel Bryan, but that's really it during this time. And don't do not do that. I don't want to do... I forgot don't do that. that. You know it's going to happen you know, a real, lot. I, I should thank you enough right now, because you didn't talk about Edge as much as I thought you would have. No, because I, I knew that was going to be a real point of contention. It, You know, it would have. I would have had to leave the show... I forgot that we're going to be get the further we progress in time chronologically, I, we're getting in to Daniel Bryan. Yes. So that's going to be a problem, but that's okay because I have some guys that I can talk about in some pretty stupid detail as well. <laughs> quick stupid. plug, quick plug, real quick for Finley and Hornswoggle during this era, Bubs. We didn't uh, mention them enough. The return so of DX, that. Bubs. That also happened. Well, they did set up a few between that. the two, so that was nice. <laughs> little people's court that that was that was a thing nevertheless bubs great episode it was talking about it with you we're please. gonna do the next one next one will be the pg era uh please hit us up on twitter at cae wrestling please hit us up on facebook just search collar and the and signed elbow wrestling uh just we, we love talking with you guys love hearing feedback and love finding out what you want to hear about when it comes to wrestling. We're open su- to suggestions. We're not set in our ways. If you have something you want to hear, we would love to know, so that way we can give that to you. We are the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast. I'm Kenny Oak. He's Chris Harris. Thank you for joining us. Without you, we wouldn't be anything. And together, we'll make wrestling great again. See you guys next time.